Welcome to Menu Feed, a bi-weekly podcast from Winsight Media's two food service brands, Restaurant Business and Food Service Director. I'm Pat Kobe, Senior Editor covering Menu Food and Drink for both brands. Today I'm talking with Lizzie Fryer, Director of Menu Research and Insights for Technomic. Every year around this time, Technomic releases its annual outlook for the year ahead. The 2022 forecast is called the Year of the Climb, as the industry continues to emerge from the pandemic. Some of the trends are amplifications of what's been going on in 2021, with comfort food, plant proteins, and robotics continuing to evolve. But there are some surprise predictions in store. Listen as Lizzie shares how supply chain and labor challenges are impacting menu innovation, why consumers are really craving experiences, and how operators can tap the trends to get customers' attention. Welcome, Lizzie. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. So today we're going to talk about Technomics 2022 trends, and and I would love you to reveal a little about your annual process for identifying these trends every year, and how will they impact the industry in 2022? Yeah, Technomics process for figuring out these trends every year is very tedious. It takes a few months and it takes a village. Um, So we basically get together a number of stakeholders, not just at Technomic, but throughout Winsight. And we discuss what we've been seeing going on in the industry. Um, We include some primary and secondary research in that. We look at recent consumer surveys menu and industry data. Um, And we're looking at like what's been going on historically within the food service space. And in addition to that, we're also looking at a little bit of predictive research. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's, it's a long process. We have to whittle it down to just a few trends, a few main, main trends in various aspects of the industry, whether it be menu, consumer, industry, concept, technology, um, and we, we try to give predictions for what we expect for the year ahead. Was it tougher this year because of the pandemic or was it pretty much the same? Yeah, every year brings its own challenges, uh, just depending on what we're expecting for the industry. I would say last year and this year brought a whole new set of challenges that none of us you know previously expected. And given the you know, questions about what the environment's going to be like next year, a little bit more of a hopeful attitude. It, it brought a much more exciting um, vibe, I guess, to our conversations comparatively to, you know, where we were last year, where it was a little bit less, um, you know, less understood what the world would look like. Right. It's good to hear that things are a little less gloomy. Exactly. <laughs> So it seems like some of the 2022 trends are extensions or amplifications of what has been going on in 2021. Can you talk a little bit about how comfort foods are continuing, perhaps with small tweaks, and what some are calling comfort plus? Yeah, comfort is one of those trends that has never gone away and really will never go away. Everybody loves comfort food. I think during the pandemic, the desire for comfort food really escalated. Um, So we saw a lot of operators leaning into their comfort food favorites. 
and kind of exploring new innovations with regard to their comfort foods. So that's kind of that idea of that comfort plus there. And, you know, creating small tweaks to that really went nicely with regard to what operators were facing as far as a lot of the challenges. Uh, you know, they were challenged with supply. They were challenged with labor. So, you know, simply adding maybe a new flavor variation to mac and cheese, for example, which is what Panera did last year when they added their um, their broccoli cheddar mac and cheese. Mm-hmm. Um, or what they did more recently, which is basically just put mac and cheese on a sandwich and make basically a, a really viral, interesting offering with ingredients that they already had on hand. So basically getting a little bit more innovative with ingredients that they already have on hand in their kitchens. Well, mac and cheese seems to be topping burgers now too and being put on sandwiches like you mentioned, but also other applications. Yeah, it's fantastic. I I love it. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Who doesn't like mac and cheese? So one of the trends you pinpoint is all in on prep and the labor and supply chain challenges are kind of influencing that trend and driving it. So how can operators innovate the menu as they tackle these challenges? Yeah, like I mentioned, you know, supply chain issues have really been quite rampant over the past year, year and a half. Um, You know, we had a drop in demand last year, you know, when the pandemic hit. But then more recently, we've kind of had a speedier than expected recovery. So it's caused a lot of challenges in finding a lot of different food items and non-food items, but in particular to this menu trend, food items, you know, things like ketchup packet shortages, a lot of meat shortages and pickles. Mm-hmm. Um, so as far as how that impacts menus, well, it makes it really hard for operators to innovate their menus if they can't get new products in or if they can't afford products because prices have simply skyrocketed. Um, so as far as how operators are innovating as they tackle these challenges, what we're kind of expecting for next year and what we're starting to see a little bit of already is, um, you know, operators really going all in on that preparation forward innovation. So getting innovative with like unique and varied preparations of ingredients that they already have on hand. And so they can do some of that ahead and it doesn't tax the kitchen while they're Um, you know, in the middle of service. Exactly. And taking a lot of preparations that they already know Mm -hmm. and just applying them to ingredients that they might not have otherwise done that before. So for example, um, you know, seeing radishes or gem lettuce getting grilled, that's not something we would have typically seen. You know, typically we're going to see those ingredients served raw, but it provides kind of new flavor dimensions, new texture dimensions. Um, So that's kind of a nice way to innovate. Um, Another way is we're seeing some operators pickling, jamming, and fermenting ingredients. Mm -hmm. Um, That's great, obviously, for flavor dimensions, but also for that extension of shelf life, which is another issue, you know, with supply that operators are having right now. That's one great way to extend the shelf life of a lot of the products that they have on hand as well. Right. Talk about how LTOs might be part of the solution. You know, they could be used to innovate and join customers without overtaxing the kitchen or the supply chain. Is that something that a lot of operators are doing? Oh yeah, definitely. So in in the past year, you know, the past many quarters since the pandemic hit, we've really started to see a lot of operators streamline their menus. They're reducing SKUs. um, They're cutting a lot of offers and focusing on their core items, but consumers still want 
a reason to visit restaurants. They still want that exciting new offer. Um, and in fact, we have a stat here from Technomic among Gen Z and millennial consumers, the number of recent occasions driven by the need for novelty has grown 26% over the past two years. So we obviously know these younger consumers really want to try something new and exciting at restaurants. So as a result, we actually have seen operators start to add a lot more limited time offers to their menus, even amidst the pandemic. Um, so while they're you know, removing a lot of those permanent menu offers, they are really leaning in on those limited time offers. So right now, based on like limited time offer numbers from top 500 chain restaurants, we're tracking to have about 12% more in 2021 from those operations than we did in 2020. So that's a pretty big uptick as well. Um, and something that, you know, I think is a great solution for operators who are looking to offer something a little bit more innovative, whether it be, you know, a, a totally new offering or maybe a slight tweak on an offer that they already have on their menu, um, you know, really to appeal to those consumers looking for something a little bit more novel. Um, and I think that when we think of limited time offers too, it doesn't always have to be this complete reinvention or comprehensive skew overhaul. If you think of like Popeye's fried chicken sandwich, like that's a perfect example. It's, you know, it was such a small, you know, idea, essentially just fried chicken sandwich that turned into something so incredible for that brand. Um, so I think that for consumers, they're really looking for those types of offers that's really going to drive them into a restaurant. Another trend that you cite in the Technomic Report is proteins in play and how the pandemic opened the door for new and unexpected types of protein. Can you talk a little bit about that? We've really seen a lot of really interesting stuff going on with proteins, you know, not just over the past, you know, couple of years, but especially more lately. Um, just whatever the definition of protein is, is expanding to new types of products the importance of protein. Um, of course, the supply chain issues have also been very much impacting protein. Um, so it's caused a lot of challenges, um, but it's really kind of put protein in the spotlight. Um, so for, for operators, um, you know, they've really been able to kind of step up to the challenge by um, expanding protein options to help address supply chain shortages and rising product costs. Um, and then for consumers, it's really important because if you think about protein, it's, it's in a lot of trendy diets. Think about like a lot of high protein, low carb diets out there. Um, but it's also in a lot of indulgent comfort fare. Um, it's also very significant to the value equation for consumers. So protein is just this really important category. Um, so what we're seeing trending on the menu oftentimes had these associations with protein. Um, for one part, that definitely includes plant-based proteins. I mean, I, I think this is a trend that we've been talking about for a couple of years, but there's still so much innovation on the horizon that really we shouldn't stop talking about it. Um, you know, plant-based fish and seafood um, are two categories that are predicted to increase in operator penetration in the coming few years based on, you know, Technomics predictive analytics data. Um, plant-based dairy, I think, is another constantly moving target. 
Um, when we're talking about plant-based milks, for example, you know, oat milk and almond milk are ones that we talk about all the time. They're pretty mainstream at this point, but there are a lot of plant-based milk opportunities on the horizon that I see becoming, you know, the next oat milk. Um, for example, new nut-based milks like pistachio milk or cashew or macadamia nut milk, a lot of seed milks like hemp seed or sunflower seed milk, um, and interesting like fruit and vegetable-based milks. So I think that plant-based dairy category has a lot of room for growth as well. Um, and, you know, just beyond those typical plant-based, you know, meat and dairy iterations, I think that a lot of the innovation that we're seeing um, as well is coming from nuts and seeds and um, sauces and condiments that feature nuts and seeds um, that are really also very prominent in a lot of global cuisines. So I think that that's something that we have a lot more room for growth in the coming year as well. And the cheeses are actually getting much better. I've, I had a vegan cheese lately and it was really very close to the dairy equivalent. Yeah, and I think that's really important. I mean, if you think about plant-based products five, 10 years ago, they didn't taste like their counterpart. Mm -hmm. But then of course you get plant-based beef that moves in and you have a lot of imitation meats now and suppliers that have done a really good job making it taste and the texture very similar to beef. Um, we've seen similar iterations with pork and chicken. So I think that there's a lot more areas where we can see that grow um, in the coming years. I think bacon is going to be one to watch. Mm. I think if you can get a supplier that makes a plant-based bacon similar to actual bacon, I think that that might be an interesting game changer for the food industry. Definitely. So what are some examples of how operators can save on food costs by making protein swaps? Because we all know that beef and chicken prices went through the roof um, and they're really like, they keep going up and down and so they're so unpredictable. So what kind of protein swaps can operators make when these things happen? We've been seeing um, opportunities in a lot of different areas of the menu as a way to like highlight affordable yet flavorful cost savers. Um, I think the big one that most folks have been talking about in the food industry over the past few months has been um, replacing chicken breasts and wings with thighs. And I think that we talk about that so much because of Wingstop, you know, they, they went so far as to open thigh stop, which is that virtual concept dedicated to chicken thighs. And they did that because wings were in such low supply during the pandemic the prices were skyrocketing for wings. So they found an alternative that they really, um, you know, leaned into and it really worked for them. So I think that that's an obvious one. Um, in the beef realm, I think we have been seeing operators moving away from expensive cuts like the loin toward more economical cuts like beef chuck. Um, we've seen them shifting down USDA grades from prime to choice. And we've seen some substitutes as well, um, like beef um, getting swapped with pork um, and a couple other iterations like that too. So I think that those are, are one, ways, one way really that we're seeing or why we're seeing operators doing these protein swaps for you know, that supply um, and cost issue. But on the other hand, we're also seeing these swaps for reasons that don't necessarily seem like they're, they're following on the reason of supply or being more economically conscious. Instead, um, some of these swaps I feel like are just for 
uh, a way to keep menus exciting and keep diners kind of excited and interested too, and to offer items that are a little bit more in line with maybe an operator's menu positioning. So for example, like um, meatballs, typically made with like beef or pork. We're seeing um, some more uh, seafood-based operators offering fish or seafood meatballs or fish or seafood-based ragus. Mm. Um, so, you know, that might not necessarily be done, you know, to save costs, um, but rather to really kind of more stay in line with an operator's um, menu positioning and to offer something a little bit more creative with different flavor profiles. I think it's also because they can't always get the species they want. So when you put it in a meatball, you don't really know that it's not, you know, it's not swordfish or not halibut, but it's cod. Or that's, yeah, I think that's definitely true with meatballs. I think that's true with fried fare as well. Right. So we know like fried chicken and waffles has been very popular over the past year, but we've seen a lot of really interesting iterations of that beyond chicken. So an operator doing, um, you know, chicken fried vegetables paired with waffles, for example, as a way to kind of switch that up too. And if, if you're frying something, some people are going to want to eat it, you know? <laughs> no, I, I definitely would love um, waffles and fried vegetables on top. That sounds delicious. <laughs> so we talked a little bit about how consumers are still seeking comfort, but they're also eager for experiences, especially after being denied restaurant experiences for over a year. So how can restaurants balance these demands and provide both? Yeah, I think that that's going to be one of the trickiest ones. We have this very much changing face of hospitality, essentially, in, in restaurants. And there's going to be this ongoing dual need for comfort and experience. And it's going to have a very clear and direct impact on how restaurants are really forging ahead in their operations. Um, so I think that that's going to be a tricky one. Um, I think we're going to see restaurants really grappling with balancing that desire for interactive and communal and fun experiences on premise while continuing to still emphasize those off-premise um, options, you know, delivery, takeout only formats, things like that. And I think that we have already been seeing operators offer some of that exciting interactive experience with their off-premise offerings. Um, for example, you know, um, doing a, a cooking class for um, a, a little bit more of a build your own component for an uh, takeout or a delivery option mm -hmm. um, or with your delivery or takeout menu, pairing it with music. Um, so I think that that kind of provides that step right now. It'll be interesting to see in 2022 how that evolves a little bit more um, as you know, consumers start to go back to dine in a bit more, but also have these expectations that have evolved over the pandemic of what their off-premise experience could be. And you also cite salt and salty flavors as a way to take comfort foods out of their comfort zone, so to speak. But the FDA just released a recommendation for restaurants to reduce sodium over the next two and a half years. So how can a menu item achieve both? Yeah, that was interesting timing because we had talked about salt as a trend, you know, and kind of solidified that as a trend a few weeks before the FDA came out with that recommendation. So the interesting thing is, you know, we're not going against the FDA in our um, trend outlook. And we're, you know, we're not saying operators are going to start like throwing on the, the salt on everything. Um, but I think the, the part that 
we were really honing in on is that operators are looking to add flavor to food in a different way um, than just adding a bunch of dashes of salt. So we're seeing a lot of ingredients that are just naturally salty in flavor, finding momentum on menus, um, somewhat as a substitute in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, so seaweed is one that we've talked about over a couple of years, but um, you know we're seeing more operators calling out specific seaweed types or calling them out in new areas of the menu than we're used to. Um, Purslane is a leafy green vegetable and it has a slightly salty taste. Um, And we've been seeing this growing in both food and beverage, including adult beverage. Um, We've seen a lot of sauces, condiments, and spice blends that contain salt, um, you know, also growing a little bit on menus. So the ones that come to mind that we've been seeing in more interesting applications include gomashio and kosho. Mm -hmm. Um, So gomashio is similar to furikake. Um, it's a condiment sprinkler made with unhold sesame seeds and salt. And then kosho is a paste made from chili peppers, salt, and traditionally yuzu peel, but we've seen, we've been seeing a lot of interesting citruses being featured in there too. Um, so we've been seeing that. Um, the last one that I, I find actually really fun is this idea of salty cocktails. Um, and I think that that you know, most people are like, well, we've seen that all the time, you know, salt rimming a margarita glass. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm talking about like ingredients being featured in the glass that are kind of salt enhanced. Um, So for example, seeing salted fruits or salted vegetables um, as a flavor in the drink or salt water even being included as like a call out in one of the uh, cocktail ingredients. Um, And then in addition to that, you know, when, yes, we have those salted rims on margarita glasses, those aren't going away, but we have been seeing operators getting a little bit more creative with their rimming of cocktails. Mm -hmm. So we've seen tahin and togarashi taking the place of traditional salt for like a, a, a bloody Mary cocktail or, um, you know, a flavored margarita. Um, and we've also been seeing these types of ingredients, being sprinkled on fries instead of traditional salt. So it provides a little bit more depth of flavor. Um, It's a small substitute that can make a traditional item like French fries seem a little bit more premium. And of course, you know, say you're an Asian restaurant and you sprinkle Japanese furikake on top of a potato, you know, that's more traditional comfort food for people that they might be more familiar with, but it also pairs something a little bit less familiar to a lot of consumers, which is furikake. So kind of, you know, takes a super popular dish and makes it a concept's own by offering a a slight twist. Mm -hmm. Well, I imagine that those um, uses have, you know, less sodium than if you sprinkled on the same amount of salt. Like if you use as much salt as you would furikake, it would probably be iron sodium. I don't know that for a fact, but it sounds like it might be. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know that for a fact either. I'm, I'm not a nutritionist, but I think probably in the minds of consumers, you know, having a seasoning, um, instead of just traditional salt, I think at the very least adds a sense of, um, premiumization. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that is actually the, the interesting part of this trend. You talked a little bit about global flavors just now, but do you see any other global or regional flavors or cuisines that will be emerging on menus in 2022? 
Yeah, you know, I, I'm, we're always talking about a lot of different global regions and a lot of really interesting flavors coming out of these regions. Um, some of the ones that I'm watching include um, Western Africa, um, you know, including like Nigerian cuisine and, and Ghanan cuisine, amongst others. I think there are a lot of really interesting flavor profiles and dishes um, coming out of these regions. Mesoamerican, that's that's one that I know you and I have kind of talked about a little bit, um, which basically consists of, you know, southern Mexico and, and most of Central America. Um, similarly, a lot of really interesting flavors coming out of there. Um, and then just kind of, you know, Western Asian cuisines. Um, you know, we've, we've talked about Middle Eastern cuisine a lot, especially over the past like five years. Um, but I think that there are a lot more regions to explore um, around the Arabian Peninsula and, you know, other greater Middle Eastern countries as well. Mm-hmm. Are there any examples of Mesoamerican that you can give? Like, is it focused on like Peruvian or uh, more Central America? I guess Peru, Peru is really in South America. Yeah, I think it mostly consists of like Central American cuisines. Um, So a little bit more regionalized Mexican and Central American. So think like Dominican and Nicaraguan and things like that. That should be fun. (laughs) Now on the personal side, which current trend do you wish would go away? And what trend do you hope to see more of in 2022? I will say, you know, there aren't many trends that I come across that I dislike. For, for any reason, I'm not, you know, close enough to really have a, a strong dislike of anything. I will say, though, just coming out of the pandemic, and I think we have seen a slowdown of this, I'm, I'm ready for these viral offerings that, that are very social media driven, like Dalgona Coffee, to kind of fall by the wayside. And more so because those are really a sign of the times. I think we're all ready for the pandemic to be over and, uh, you know, I think I'm ready to kind of go back to a little bit more normalcy here than, you know, TikTok folks inventing something and getting excited about, a, you know, a silly offering. So is there a trend you're looking forward to in 2022? I'm really excited to see what the next Chicken Sandwich Wars is going to be. That was really fun and exciting to follow over the past, you know, two-ish years. I think that started up like a few months before the, the pandemic hit, <laughs> but it's, it's really persisted. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we've seen a slowdown maybe over the past half year, and I'm ready to kind of have something new come back up. And And my, uh, my guess would be um, maybe something with loaded fries, mm. but I am, um, I'm really excited to see what that next iteration will be. Yeah, me too. I think chicken sandwiches are definitely here to stay. They're kind of like, you know, they came on strong and just like burgers, I don't think they'll ever go off the menu now, but definitely there will be a new trend. (laughs) Yeah, I totally agree. And I think we're still going to continue seeing different iterations Mm -hmm. of chicken sandwiches. I think that, you know, operators will get a little bit more creative with maybe some sauces or condiments that go on their chicken sandwiches, Um, maybe some interesting global sauces. I think I'd be very excited to see that. But I'm ready to move on from chicken sandwiches and I want to see something new. Thanks so much, Lizzie. I'm really looking forward to kicking off 2022. Please join me for another episode as we explore more food and drink trends. MenuFeed is now available to download on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. (music) 